0: welcome to the mayo clinic ophthalmology podcast on all things ophthalmology brought to you by mayo clinic i'm your host dr andrea tooley
1: and i'm dr eric bothan we're here to bring you the latest and greatest in ophthalmology medicine and more today we have the opportunity of visiting with dr Brittany scruggs she is an md phd and vitro retinal surgeon here at the mayo clinic we have the opportunity to talk about sutureless IOL fixation, in particular the Yamani technique, and a number of care tips along the way.
0: Dr. Brittany Scruggs, MD, PhD, is a vitreoretinal surgeon and scientist here at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Scruggs completed her ophthalmology residency at the University of Iowa, then did her vitreoretinal surgery fellowship at KCI Institute in Oregon. Her clinical interests include pediatric and inherited retinal disease. Her research focuses on the optimization of gene therapy and cell based therapy for improved safety and efficacy in patients with retinal degeneration. Welcome, Dr. Scruggs. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
1: We're excited to talk about one of your particular areas of forte and expertise, and that's when l- l- intraocular lenses are placed in eyes that lack capsular support. And I know there are a variety of different surgical options for people that are pursuing Iowa placement. You bring to the table some expertise that we've appreciated here at the Mayo Clinic. Before we get into your personal practice, share a little bit about the historical background to placing IOLs without capsular support or adequate support? And lead us into what your preference is today.
2: Sure, thank you for the question. So there, as you know, there are many techniques and the need for this has been forever, right? There's always patients who come in with ocular trauma or the high myopes who potentially have zonular weakness or patients who have dislocation of their crystalline lens or potentially their intraocular lens gets dislocated. So the, the need has been longstanding. And techniques have been evolving since around the 1980s. And the technique and modifications are ongoing. So I'm gonna preface the answer with saying we are still figuring out how to best do this to decrease the complication rate and also increase the success of our surgeries. The 1980s is really when this started to become in vogue and papers started to be written on the topic, starting with scleral fixation using suture. And the suture type has also changed over the last few decades as we learn what works and what doesn't work, right? And some sutures seem to work better than others and so tinoproline has been used for a long time you know that was one of the first papers that was written and we've kind of found in the last decade that that might be a little bit too thin and those lenses are tending to dislocate And i think we'll find more and more over the next 10 years that that's probably accurate and so people are now starting to do thicker sutures maybe ninoproline or gore-tex um, which is a really thick more like rope-like suture and then other people are going suture to kind of decrease the complication rates that you would see with suture lenses i want to go over all of the different techniques that can be done if that's okay there's a there's a lot to kind of talk about here when you put a lens in the eye without capsular support you have to think does the patient have an iris Do they have iris support? And if so, that could be a way that you fixate the lens. You can actually fixate it to the iris itself using suture or using new lenses that can actually clip onto the iris. If there's no iris support or if you want to scleral fixate it, there are different ways to do that as well. Like I said, over time, the modifications have allowed us to kind of have techniques that are better from a long-term standpoint. And one of the modifications is the lens Itself and actually having eyelets where you can suture directly to the lens. Another modification is how we actually do the surgery. In addition to using suture, some people are doing sutureless. And what that means is you're putting the haptics outside of the eye and either scleral fixating it into a scleral tunnel, where you can actually put a flap on top of the haptic or you, ex- you can externalize the haptic and cauterize the haptic. There are different techniques of gluing the haptics as well. You can use fiber and glue. And so honestly, all of these techniques are appropriate and can be used at different times. And a lot of people pick one technique and get really good at that technique because there's a learning curve Which with each type of technique and modification that you use in your practice. So with that said, the Yamani technique is a newer technique written about starting in about 2014, and even that technique has been modified over the last few years. And the Yamani technique is where you externalize the haptics of a three-piece lens, then you cauterize the ends, and because you cauterize it, it can't get back into the eye. And so it's kind of stuck inside of the scleral tunnels. And so... The modification that I prefer is actually using 27 gauge trocars. So it is an interesting technique, kind of marries the Yamani technique with the technique that was written by Printer and colleagues. So it's a long standing technique where you use trocar scleral tunnels and you externalize the haptics. So, kind of marrying the two techniques, um, the 27 gauge is a really thin scleral tunnel and allows you to put instruments through the trocar, such as a max grip forcep or something that can actually grab the haptic inside of the eye versus tucking it inside of a needle. Mm -hmm. So there are some advantages both ways. That's my go-to technique right now.
1: And what IOL platform are you using?
2: Yeah, so good question. So there are lots of IOLs that one can use. So when I do Yamani, I like the CT Lucia six zero two. I think it's a beautiful lens. And the haptics are the P V D F haptics. So they are stronger. Le- they're stronger, they're flexible, they go kind of right back to shape versus being bent and then you have a haptic that potentially like is stretched which can increase your decentration or your tilt of your lens. So these haptics really jump back right to where their original shape was, which is great for keeping the lens centered. And that's an important point, I think, because when you use this technique, depends on the IOL you choose because some IOLs like the CT Lucia or the MX60E, it's a two point fixation versus like the Acreos, it's four point, right? So you're going to be better centered just by picking that lens alone because you have more fixation. So the lens type is important. If you do a two-point fixation, which is my preference, you have to be extremely precise, Mm -hmm. right? You need to make sure your measurements are perfect and that you're 180 degrees away, that your scleral tunnels are perfect, that the placement posterior to the limbus is exactly the same on either side. If there's any change in precision um, or in accuracy, there will be a tilt or decentration, which changes not only the refractive error, but it also increases the higher or- order aberrations, which decreases the quality of vision for our patients. So with that said, I also do sutured IOLs, um, and there are lots of IOLs that you can use. So Gore-Tex is definitely my go-to suture. I think it's stronger than proline and at least the short-term data that we have is pretty good so the lens that i like um, is mx60e the invista lens there are other types of lenses cz 70bd is a good lens but it's a pmma lens so for those you have to do a scleral tunnel Um, that's pretty large all of these have advantages um, and disadvantages and so i think the most important is that you get good at maybe one or two really you know excellent techniques and go through the learning curve. It takes at least 15 or 20 cases to really see a lot of the complications and work through those.
0: Yeah, just in reading about this, I didn't know a lot about IOL fixation or the Ioani technique, really anything, and just in reading about it, it sounds like that learning curve is major. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of the biggest step to get over when you're first learning it. I'm curious too, because you're a vitro retinal surgeon, how often are you seeing retina specialists do these types of fixated IOLs versus ANTSEG? And is there a trend where ANTSEG surgeons are doing more of this or less and leaving it to retina? Like you said, you're using trocars. Do you have to do vitrectomy? Mm-hmm. Kind of where's the distinction there? Yeah, it's
2: a great question. I think it's institution specific. Actually, I know it is because I've trained at now four different institutions. Every institution does it differently. And some people do combined approaches, mm-hmm. right? Where the anterior segment team will actually place the IOL and do either the sutured or sutureless fixation. And the retina team will do the vitrectomy. Other anterior segment surgeons feel comfortable enough to do a really good interior vitrectomy. You always
0: have to do a vitrectomy?
2: You always need to do a good anterior vitrectomy. Okay. Without a anterior. doubt. Anterior. Mm-hmm. anterior, yeah. If you don't do a good vitrectomy, potentially when you are putting your instruments in and out of the eye, you're you're manipulating the vitreous, there's definitely a high risk of vitreol retinal adhesions and pooling and tears and detachments. And that was a big complication at the beginning, like back in the 80s and 90s, that's what we were seeing is the retina was not super happy with tugging and traction. At the institutions I've trained, especially my fellowship at KCI Institute, we always do a full vitrectomy. And so that is my practice, is that anytime I put a secondary IOL, I do a full vitrectomy, posterior parse plane of vitrectomy, make sure that there's no traction, and then I place the lens.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. This might be a silly question, but are you ever doing these as primary IOLs? Do you ever do a phaco and then a scleral fixated IOL? Does that ever happen? Is this always secondary?
2: It's a good question. So, if there is known phacodinesis, then potentially you would go straight to lens like Bad pseudo X or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Bad pseudo X, exactly. Maybe
1: Marfan or some situation Mar- where it's sure. more of a, not a cataract situation, but a subluxation right. situation.
2: Mm, exactly. That makes
1: sense. I would, those are the ones I worry about the most, especially not having complete vitrectomy. So mm. many of these eyes have either been badly traumatized or have some sort of connective tissue abnormality that puts them at risk of retinal detachments. The Marfan group in particular, when you look at lifetime retinal detachment risk, which I'd say some of them aren't, it's hard to find that data, mm-hmm. but it's quite alarmingly high. There was recently a database review in California looking at billing codes that said the risk of retinal detachment in that cohort was 5%, mm-hmm. long-term risk of retinal detachment. And I i think that's the part that I've come to appreciate the valuable role of having you on our service or in a retina team that's comfortable doing these because the safety profile of doing a complete vitrectomy, mm-hmm. making sure any peripheral retinal disease is addressed, lasered, attended to, in addition to suturing or gluing or Yamani, mm-hmm. to me adds a comfort that I appreciate as a care provider. So. Your sense though is there's, you know, a good number that do it either with a combined approach or of retina. Is it a trend that's shifting in that direction or is there still a largely a uh, different opinions on whether you need more of an anterior vitrectomy versus complete?
2: Yeah, um, I, I do believe there's a trend to retina surgeons doing at least a full vitrectomy. As you know, there are inter- interior segment surgeons who are kind of trained in both, right? That's less common These days, with newer surgeons coming right out of fellowship, they Mm -hmm. maybe aren't comfortable with vitrectomies like older surgeons are. So I do think that the trend will be for either combined cases or retina surgeons doing the majority of these cases. Which is
1: what here at the Mayo Clinics it's shifted to. Traditionally we had these were done in a combined way with anterior segment Mm -hmm. and retina. Mm -hmm. And now you know Matt Starr and you are two shining stars that are relatively new in our retina department are leading this effort in the service. I don't I'm not aware that we do them combined anymore now in that way. Yeah, Yeah.
2: I have only done one combined surgery, and it was because the patient need a cor- needed a corneal transplant yeah. at the same time. Sure. Yeah.
0: That'll do it. That will do it. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have an algorithm that you go through when you're deciding what technique for suture or for scleral fixation you want to use, suture versus sutureless? Or do you have kind of one way? Is there a certain patient who's better for Yamani versus better for Gore Tex? Yeah, I think
2: that's a good question. I think you have to look at the the sclera and Mm. determine how thin their sclera is. It also depends on age. So I am not comfortable yet doing Umani in children. Mm. So we have a case coming up Mm -hmm. where I'll be doing a scleral fixated lens using suture for a child. And I think over time when we have more data, I I think Umani probably will be fine for children. And I've done it for teenagers and they've done fine. But again, it's only a few years out so I think time will tell. But yes, in a patient who has thin sclera, potentially is at risk of the haptic being internalized, I think the sutured fixation is the better approach. However, with patients who get the sutured fixation, they need to be counseled really well the suture-related complications, right? So sutures can be prone to endophthalmitis, Mm -hmm. breaking, rubbing through the conge, And so the technique needs to be perfect, very accurate. So you're burying your knots and you're making sure that they have good conge closure. And again, if they don't have good conge, maybe you need to change your approach. Maybe you shouldn't do a scleral fixated lens at all. You could potentially, especially with older patients, go more to like an ACIOL. They have iris support um, and that just allows you to slip it right in and use that as a way to put it right in there. And those patients have great vision outcomes. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that's something to not forget that we can do ACIOLs as well.
0: Sure, mm-hmm. tricky thought process.
1: You bring up some suture-related complications. Certainly, mm-hmm. there's you know malpositioning, tilt, mm-hmm. iris capture, other things that are, have been described with this procedure or these techniques. What are the tips you've learned over basic positioning and securing? You mentioned suture bearing. Mm-hmm. Are there other things you've changed in your practice to help ensure? You mentioned you also talked about perfect measurements, which mm-hmm. yeah, perfect. Um, we're all in, Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, share, but anything in particular you've you'd, you've come to appreciate as new tips or pearls to help mm-hmm. protect your outcomes?
2: Yes, and we're all modifying our techniques. So, I, the things I'm about to tell you, I wish I knew three years ago. And the same thing with the Yamani technique when it was first published. Even the measurements that were published in that first paper in ophthalmology are completely different than what are new, now used in the Yamani technique. For instance, the distance back from the limbus. And so in the original paper, it was 1.7 millimeters. I personally found that in my hands, 2.5, is the best, Dr. Starr uses 3.0. Mm-hmm. So there's a wide range there, obviously you don't wanna to go too close to the retina, and you don't wanna to go mm-hmm. close, too close to the iris, but there's that sweet spot in your hands where you kind of know what your outcome's going to be f- from a refractive standpoint, but it also helps you not have that optic capture, which is a real complication, especially when you are have a complete vitrectomy. And so for me, 2.5 posterior to the limbus on either side. Making sure that you really spend a lot of time making sure you're 180 degrees away from each other for your scleral tunnels. Doing a really good torque marking, making sure that your light uh, reflex right in the center of the cornea is perfect. And then just double checking your marks. Um, I double and triple check marks. And then some people go straight through the conj, and that is definitely appropriate, and I try to do that when I can, but oftentimes you're removing an intraocular lens and doing an IOL exchange, and oftentimes you have to remove that with a scleral tunnel. So I actually will open the conjunctiva, Mm -hmm. cauterize, give myself really good visualization, do a good scleral tunnel, and then mark right on to the sclera. Mm -hmm. And there's no fault in doing that. So opening the conch, getting your good visualization is fine. And some people are scared to open conch because they think they're gonna mess up the surgery. As long as you have a good closure over your haptics, you're you're completely fine with that. Um, Which
1: quadrants do you target the most?
2: yeah so Mm -hmm. it depends as a retina surgeon i like to operate superiorly right so most of the time my haptics will be at three and nine maybe a little bit off so i'm not directly at three and nine but sometimes I will operate temporally and it goes back to where the sclera is the best. I'm looking at where the sclera is the thickest, the healthiest, the conge is the thickest. There's a thin area of conge temporally and nasally. I will actually operate temporally, even as a retina surgeon (laughs) and that's fine too. I know a lot of the anterior segment surgeons here they sit temporally, and so their haptics are going to be externalized at 12 and 6. Honestly, I, th- I think the outcomes are fine either way, and I've done it both ways, and they work out fine. Another thing that I wanted to mention that I've learned over, the, over time is when you do a thorough vitrectomy, you're at risk of having reverse pupillary block just because you're having more fluid come from the posterior chamber into the anterior chamber, and so it's imperative to do a PI. I always do a PI, as a retina surgeon I put it at six, but honestly you could put it anywhere as long as it stays patent, mm-hmm. but I have seen that. And if you see that at post-op day one or week one, do an LPI in clinic um, if that's not you know your practice pattern. But it now is every time intraoperatively, I just use my vitrector, go in through the main wound, make a tiny little PI and then I'm done. And I never have complications from that anymore. Mm -hmm. And then the tilt and decentration is a real thing, it can happen especially when you only have two point fixation and so looking at the end of the case and being honest with yourself. If you see a tilt now it's going to be there in the post-op setting and so don't be scared to take out one of your haptics, redo the scleral tunnel exactly like you need to fix the problem and then get the job done five degree of tilt is going to change the refractive error. That's not very much. 15 degree of tilt or more is gonna really cause the patient problems long term. So do it right in the moment. And that's the good thing is most of these changes and manipulations of the lens can be done intraoperatively. It's very rare that I have a complication after surgery that I could not have fixed intraoperatively.
0: When you're thinking about refractive outcomes, And not just based on the technique, do you change your IOL selection at all or account for that? Absolutely. So
2: because I go 2.5 millimeters back, Mm -hmm. I try to target around minus one diopter in the bag calculation. Mm -hmm. I try to lean way away from a hyperopic surprise. Okay. So even if I have a little bit of myopia, that's better than having. And I'm sure you just counsel
1: the Do you adjust it with different powers of IOLs or pretty much minus one in each of them?
2: so my go-to lens is the c2 lucia right. and i have found that when i do minus one at that 2.5 millimeters i pretty much get
1: consistent close
2: to minus 0.5 as their outcome and yep. that's my go-to that's great yeah
1: torque do you do you try to avoid them or do you, is it still an option that you've Perform successfully
2: yeah so you dr. Starr has recently gotten into the scleral fixation of toric lenses so much that I will start trying it soon but that's not something that I've done yep. so far to date you know it's relatively a new thing but yes you can scleral fixate a toric lens yep. lots of moving parts there. that moving makes parts. me nervous just hearing about it <laughs> <laughs> that is really important to get the measurements yeah. correct of course yeah. um, it's exciting
0: very exciting, mm-hmm. lots of innovation. I love it, and it's so interesting to see how things have come from just a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, and where where we're headed in the future. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm. I got to say that the hot te- or the low temp burning the haptics makes me very nervous. Why? I don't. <laughs> know, it sounds so imprecise. Does it? I have to see it. I have to see it to make it happen. Yeah, I can show you a video. Mm-hmm. I cauterized the
2: in like one millimeter. Okay. So it is still precise. And it makes make, it, it makes it flat like a flange. So it just sits flat on it's the sclera. Perfect. So you actually don't want it to sit on the sclera. You actually want to tuck it a little bit into the mm. tunnel. Got it. Alright? So it's actually sitting in and then the conjures over it and it's not being rubbed. Mm-hmm. And the C T Lucia, the reason it's such a beautiful lens is because the haptic really does fit really nicely inside of the scleral tunnel, mm-hmm. and it has decreased risk of conj erosion over time.
0: That's good. Mm-hmm. And probably decreased risk of endophthalmitis, Absolutely.
2: Think. Especially if you're using a really, really small scleral yeah. tunnel. So the Yamani technique is done right now in most people's hands with the ultra-thin 30-gauge. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful technique, and I do that as well. I do that if I want to mix it up a little bit or teach the fellow, and I also just think it's fun to do. But yeah, you just kind of tuck your tactic into the needle. It fits really nicely, and then when it comes out, your scleral tunnel is made for you. Is made for you, exactly. And it's impossible for that to internalize. That's terrific. Yeah.
0: Brilliant.
1: Well, thank you. This has been a joy to learn, as you mentioned, how there's been a journey and continues to be so as we help these patients. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your role here on our team and for sharing with us today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr.
1: Scruggs. That was great. Yeah. Thanks for letting me be here.
0: You can find all episodes of the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology Podcast on our website.
1: Thank you for listening, and we definitely look forward to sharing more next week.